With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. We are talking the aftermath of the NFL draft on this episode and uh, specifically some of the CUSA prospects that have made their way to the NFL and are going to get their shot at a pro career. Joe Lundergan, Eric Henry here with you once again. Eric, not a ton to celebrate on the CUSA side of things, but a couple solid um, you know, potential professional journeys starting for some CUSA guys here. Yeah, Joe, you know, it's interesting, right? Because I remember last year, last draft of 2020 draft, I kind of had, and maybe this was on me for shortchanging some of the prospects with some of the kids. I guess I was thinking, given the lack of pro days, that that would hurt some kids as it has, you know, a lot of G5 kids. I actually thought that 2020's number would look a little bit similar to this year's number. When 2020, we had a couple guys, you know, pop out the end there, end up being what, like eight, nine kids who were drafted from CUSA. This year, flip it around, I'm thinking, okay, I think there's potential for six, maybe seven. And then this year, just get a, you know, one short of a handful. Right. So all in all, I mean, we'll cover it. So plenty of kids get their chance as UDFAs. And that's great, especially considering some of the restrictions right now, as far as rookie mini camps and the amount of players that teams are bringing in. So at least guys from CUSA are getting their shot, but yeah, this number for me was a little bit smaller than expected for you. Did did you feel, um, you know, maybe six, seven ish. Were you thinking? Uh, you know, I think I was thinking there might've been one more. I thought some of the UAB guys, uh, more of the UAB guys rather would get drafted, but it didn't work out that way. And I feel like this, you know, showing from CUSA in terms of the amount of guys that get drafted is a really good example of, you know, how COVID is, is going to negatively impact, you know, G5 football and FCS football and just small college football in general for years to come. If like, because it, 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 you can almost say like a lot of the guys in this category didn't have the opportunity to get themselves in front of scouts as much as they would have normally. Well, Joe, this as you mentioned that one name popped out to mind clearly, Blaze Aldridge. You would think now whether or not he chooses to take advantage of the extra year with that rule, if Rice gets a full season, who knows, right? That's up in the air. But you would think. If Rice gets a full year, Blaze Aldridge will do what Blaze Aldridge does, which is record over 100 tackles, have, you know, about a dozen tackles for loss, handful of sacks. And those those numbers you would think in his two and a half, three years at Rice or two and a half years as a starter would be good enough to get him in the NFL. Right. So that's just a guy, an example of the way COVID played a factor this year with some teams, you know, playing five games, some teams playing 12 games, maybe Victor Tucker, maybe Victor Tucker, you know, he was a junior. So he probably comes back for a senior year. But if he gets a full season under his belt with Chris Reynolds and puts up a thousand yards, which he's fully capable of doing at any time. Maybe that's another guy, right? So I definitely Mm -hmm. think that's a, that's a fair point as far as the the impact that COVID played, not only in terms of the looks that they may have gotten from pro days or scouts, but even just playing an entire season, you know, same thing. I could, the list of goals on, I could say FIU and have a couple of kids who, um, you know, but on the back end of their team who might've gotten some looks that didn't. So uh, definitely played a factor. Agree. For sure, for sure. Um, which, you know, side note, I know we're going to talk about um, some transfers a little bit later in the show, but uh, Blaze Aldridge transferring to Missouri, that's news to me. I didn't realize he had decided on school yet. Yeah, yeah. It came out a, a little while ago, but I think, it, it's, you know, with everything going on, it's kind of gone under the radar. It, it, it kind of, for lack of a better phrase, it sucks. I mean, and again, I am pro player when it comes to transferring, right? You know, do what you think is in the best interest of your NFL future. I mean, we'll talk about a guy, a former CUSA transfer who had a hell of a year, was an All-American at a Power 5 school who signed with the Bucks as a UDFA. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later on. But yeah, you know, if if you think that's the best route for your pro, for their pro potential, excuse me, go for it. I, I guess I just, I think of 
guys like Calvin Anderson, you know, at Rice. I mean, I can't think of a team that's been more snake bitten by Power Five transfers than Rice. You know, they've had guys, uh, Emmanuel Asuka, um, Calvin Anderson, Blaze Aldridge, guys who, as Mike Bloomgren is trying to build that team, get the, you know, the rebuild at Rice going, death. <laughs> you can't really build death when, you know, you're losing your, your handful of starters each year to the P5. Western Kentucky had a few guys, not only this year, but last year, transfer to the p5 as well so it's just it's part of the game it's part of the process but to bring it all the way back around to your initial statement yeah blaze aldridge i mean a hell of a linebacker at, at uh at rice and i think he'll fit right in the big 12 mizzou sec now eric ah, damn it damn <laughs> it joe it's a sidebar sidebar 30 seconds i had a fresno state fan rip me to shreds because former fiu linebacker tyson maeva transferred to, and i don't remember if i told the story before but I, I i said that he transferred back to the whack i'm sorry i'm still living in 2007 the indelible memory of boise state football to me is ian johnson getting down on one knee and proposing after the fiesta bowl i apologize it, it, it's no longer the whack so you damn it sec <laughs> this was not an sec school get that crap out of here <laughs> Maryland. Oh man! Like who's what's who's that ACC school right now in football? Damn it! Is, is there a Maryland? No, no. Sorry, Maryland's a Big Ten. See, I, I almost did it yeah. again. Maryland's not a Big Ten school. I don't want to hear that garbage. <laughs> Old man rent. Get off my lot. I'm done. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And then Rutgers is also there. I guess. Right. <laughs> Rutgers football also exists. <laughs> if, if we're just doing in that case, then Central Florida. The Big 12. Wait, what? I'm sorry. I didn't say that loud. Continue, Jeff. <laughs> hey, you know, I will say it wasn't an awesome uh, showing for the G5 in general in terms of getting players drafted, but American did have more players <laughs> drafted on day one than the Big 12. So there you go. Um, but bringing it back to CUSA, uh, first pick for CUSA in this draft, uh, defensive tackle Milton Williams goes to the Philadelphia Eagles in round three, 73rd pick overall. Uh, in our preview show for the draft, we talked about how he just kind of continuously got better over the course of his uh, college career, put up some solid pro day numbers with 34 reps on the bench press at a 4-6 40-yard dash. For how big he is, that is damn impressive. Um, but, you know, obviously there's no guarantees in the NFL, but uh, I think he could be a solid addition to that defensive line in Philly. Yeah, listen, count me as a guy who was all in on the Milton Williams hype. Of course, a part of that comes with covering Conference USA. And we had Corey Diaz on earlier in the offseason who talked about kind of his slow progression, right? That, you know, kind of slow but steadily built up those numbers. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, Milton Williams having a play in the shadow of the all-time NCA sack leader in Jalen Ferguson. So, of course, you know, you're going to lose a little bit of shine there. But he really carved out a name and built out a name for himself at Louisiana Tech. And I don't know about you, Joe, but I, I was on Milton, Milton Williams' watch, excuse me, from the second round. Just given the fact that his size and his numbers and coming out a year early, I think it's a raw talent. So I think third round, definitely a steal for Philly. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, bestow this label upon him, but maybe it's the – Tampa native slash a Tampa resident Tampa Buccaneer fan than I am. If he can kind of be that Warren Sapp kind of presence. And I know, listen, I'm comparing him to a hall of famer. So I'm sorry, Milton. Um, but from the defensive tackle spot, when you're that athletic with that combination of strength, that's not a guy who you're thinking is going to, you know, be a, a Haloti Naga former uh, Baltimore Raven defensive tackles is going to stop the run, right? You're thinking he's going to be able to play the run, but and get up field and, uh, you know, pursue the quarterback as well. So I absolutely think that there's plenty of room for him to grow in Philly and look forward to seeing his success. You want a modern day comparison uh, as far as player archetype goes, Aaron Donald. That's who he kind of reminds me of yeah, in terms of. Just... Good. I know. I just was going to say, and again, I compare him to a Hall of Famer. You compare him to a future Hall of Famer, right? So we're doing Mr. <laughs> Williams all the favors. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, just in terms of pure body type, you talk about those defensive tackles who, you know, aren't necessarily those, you know, Haloti Nada, Vince Wilfork, Warren Sapp guys that like take up space in the middle and stuff the run. He's versatile in that aspect. You know, he's fast enough to kind of, you know, chase guys down and strong enough to uh you know win battles in the trenches and not just you know be a plug and make sure that the linebackers free up and kind of that old school defensive tackle role but you know i'm excited to see him play and, and hopefully he kind of gets his chance 
when the NFL season comes around. Uh, staying on the defensive side of the ball, UAB linebacker Jordan Smith drafted by Jacksonville on the fourth round, 121st pick overall. Um, you know, really excelled in uh, in Birmingham with Bill Clark's team there. Um, you know, it seems like Jacksonville has definitely been trying to find, you know, those guys that can play that outside linebacker spot uh, very well. Uh, hopefully he kind of fits that mold. Uh, you know, as we've kind of seen in the news lately, Jacksonville has been, you know, it, they're kind of hard to read right now for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely say, listen, you know, I will not critique the Tim T. Well, actually, you know what? Take that back, Joe. I will critique in this sense. As someone who you know spends his time covering CUSA football, FIU football, would love to see some of these kids who have not gotten one shot uh, get you know I, who would go in there and work out with no name on the jersey, no number, just you know some shorts and a t-shirt, right? And and listen, that's the name of the game. Urban Meyer clearly has a long-standing relationship with Tim Tebow, but you just think a guy who hasn't played football since 2013. Um, and has had his shots and is getting a shot and an entirely new position. I think you'd love to see some of those CUSA guys who went undrafted, you know, are, are still kind of waiting on their shot, get a workout. But I digress. Jordan Smith, UAB. What I like about that pick is his versatility at 6'5", almost 6'6", and 265 pounds. He is someone who can play on the defensive line, defensive end, or as a stand-up outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. And it's one of the cool things that I think with Bill Clark and UAB, when you play that 3-4 scheme, and obviously not every college team is able to play a 3-4, right? The, the big thing there is having the personnel. That's a very specialized personnel. you got to have big, fast outside linebackers. If everyone had them, they'd be in the, in the P5, right? Or you know, all teams would be playing 3-4. But with UAB, having implemented that defense – it allows for guys like him, maybe a Christopher Mole, you know, other guys. Um, um, there's another defensive player's name is escaping me right now, but a Tony Fair, who we'll talk about, who just transferred to Auburn. Big run-stuffing defensive tackle, spent the past three years at UAB. Guys like those to have kind of instant niches in, in, in the NFL, right? As a guy who can be that run-stuffer, there's a premium on, on that, you know, that technique as a run-stuffer. Or uh, a guy who can stand up and rush the passer as a rush end maybe play in coverage or put his hand in the dirt and rush as a defensive end. So I think Jordan Smith will fit in really well. And the fact that there's still room for him to grow. Again, I mentioned him being 265 pounds. When he came out of high school, he was a 205 pound defensive end when he signed with Florida. He's put on 60 pounds since his collegiate career started. I think there's definitely a little bit of room for growth there <laughs> in terms of what he gets in the NFL and is in a, you know, a weight training program. And the fact that he's able to rush the passer and be a four-star recruit at 205 pounds shows he clearly has those natural instincts. Absolutely. I mean, if you're able to, you know, go through that kind of growth when you're already in college, that's definitely impressive and a testament to UAB's kind of strength training, it would seem. So uh, it shows that, yeah, like you said, he can still kind of get better and, and get stronger. Um, Moving to the offensive side of the ball, let's talk about North Texas and their uh, receiver, Jalen Darden, who got selected by your hometown team, Eric, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, you know, we talked about how he's he's a little guy, but plays with a lot of determination, plays with a lot of heart, uh, had almost, you know, 1,200 uh, yards receiving uh, in nine games to the Mean Green last year, uh, was a touchdown machine with 19. Um, do you see him making an instant impact on, on your boys there? I don't know if the impact will be instant only because they just brought back Antonio Brown. They have Mike Evans. They have Chris Godwin who's a hell of a wide receiver. You know, got to shout out Chris shot, Chris Godwin. They're kind of bumping him from time to time here in Tampa, but that aside, do I think he will make an impact in general? Yes, because he can contribute in the return game. And Joe, how many times to you this year did I say the second or third best quarterback in conference USA is Jalen Darden? Because whoever's throwing that guy the ball, you are instantly in good hands. Now, of course, that part of that is an indictment of the QB play in CUSA last year, but we're not looking at the negative, we're looking at the positive, right? In nine games, would you say over 1,200 yards, 19 touchdowns? I mean, UNT had a couple of games scrapped this year because of COVID as well. Jalen Darden, you know, like you mentioned, a little guy, 5'9", a buck 70, but I think that fits in today's NFL, Joe. You know, it's not the NFL of the 80s or 90s where you could just maul receivers the line and, you know, you had to be a big 
Keyshawn Johnson, Terrell Owens type, you know, you, you have plenty of space and I think Jalen Darden can fit in and listen, uh, you know, say what you want about Antonio Brown, you know, off the field or his ant- antics. Uh, he's coming into a receiver room that he can learn from two pro bowlers and Mike Evans and Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown being another little guy, a smaller guy. Uh, and, you know, Chris Godwin was an emerging receiver and learn how to play the slot and outside. So I don't think it could be even better situation. And, and, you know, maybe you're still catching passes from Tom Brady in two or three years. So definitely like that pick. And, and I like the fact you went in the fifth round. I was a little worried that with how deep this receiver draft was, he may slide to the sixth or seventh. So the fact that he did get picked, you know, and it's a little reasonable spot just goes to show his production. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that he has Tom Brady, who may or may not have another decade in him if he takes a dip in the Lazarus pits for all the Batman people that know what I'm talking about. But I I digress. Jalen Darden definitely fits the mold of that slot receiver that Tom Brady has kind of made the careers of when you really look at guys like, you know, Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, the short guys who are really scrappy and, and really, you know, have a lot of upper body strength who can win those deep balls. You know, I think he's in a really good spot to succeed there if he gets, you know, the playing time behind those guys that you just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he will get time at some point. It just is worth stating that, you know, he's going to come in and, you know, haul in, uh, you know, 80, 80 passes and a thousand yards. No, I don't think that's fair expectation, but I think he'll be an immediate contributor in some form or fashion. Yes. So like you mentioned, great, you know, uh, um, Great note there on your part as far as the success that Brady's had with those smaller type receivers and Jalen Darden, you know, certainly can be a number one receiver with time and development and growth. Uh, Moving on then to the last uh, draft pick from CUSA here from 2021, and that's Marshall tackle Josh Ball. Uh, He went to the Dallas Cowboys with the 138th selection overall in uh, the fourth round. Uh, Ball, of course, was the guy who uh, started at Florida State, transferred to Marshall in 2019. And, um, you know, Marshall kind of had their issues with finishing let's say last season, but um, you know, this guy definitely is a really obviously strong up top offensive line uh, has the kind of body type you look for in a uh, you know, in an offensive tackle Um, appeared in all 13 games only started once uh, before earning the full-time starting role uh, last year for the thundering herd um, and was an all conference first teamer in 2020 Uh, you know, with, with offensive line, it's different than most positions I think in the NFL and that it's really, you know, the only position where you're pretty much guaranteed, like you're not going to be an instant starter. If you are, it's a testament to you are, you know, the size of four regular size people put together, or you're just a freak athlete. I don't know that Josh ball necessarily fits that category, but um, you know, he's in an interesting spot to kind of start his professional development with uh, with the Dallas Cowboys here. Two things, Joe. One, when you look at offensive lines over the past you know few years, Dallas has been right up there as far as having one of the top offensive lines. So at least he's going to a unit that has talent and is kind of, you know, breeding success. And they've got that culture of really good, strong offensive line play there. The second thing with Josh Ball, I think this is the definition of a value pick. You know, he's a guy who was a four-star recruit when he began his career at Florida State, had the issue off the field, ended up at Marshall. And just because of the, you know, level of talent that they had there at Marshall in 2019, 2020, uh, you know, doesn't see the field immediately, excuse me, 2018, 2019, doesn't see the field uh, in terms of the starting role immediately. And then, you know, this year finally slides into that starting role and produces really well as a first-team All-CUSA performer. So, like I just said, definition of value pick. He's a guy who clearly is talented. Uh, you know, like you mentioned, he's not that um, Penny Sewell, right? He's not that guy who's 6'5", 350, and is, you know, this mauler as a guard who instantaneously, you're like, all right, yeah, plug him in at guard or left tackle and protect my blind side for the next 15 years. But definitely a talented offensive lineman, a guy who I think can come in and at least, if not be a rotational guy early on, definitely someone who, uh, you know, will show enough in the early going, especially with that, like I mentioned, the culture of success there at the offensive line in Dallas to where, you know, maybe in a couple of years, he kind of slides in as a starter. Yeah, you know, like you said, Dallas is really um, shown to be one of the stronger teams in terms of offensive line development over the last few years. So this is going to be a good spot for him to be. Um, so with that, let's move on to some UDFA talk. Uh, first of all, Shane Magoo uh, from your FIU Panthers, Eric, signed to the Spring League 
uh, with the Conquerors, had some interest from uh, Detroit and the LA Rams, as you tweeted. Um, but, you know, for the uneducated, which includes myself, uh, let's talk about what the Spring League is and what kind of opportunity this presents for, for Shane. Yeah, the Spring League is a really interesting thing here, especially when you consider the lack of alternate or alternative, you know, options for players, right? The XFL, they went under for the second time. Hopefully our Lord and Savior, The Rock, can bring them back, uh, you know, this last time. I, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, for those of you about there, please, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic. But, you know, hopefully, in all seriousness, all jokes aside, one of the things that the XFL does provide when done right is a league that plays in the spring where guys who, if you don't, if you aren't drafted or you're not in NFL camp, can put up a couple numbers and all of a sudden, hey, you get another look, right? You know, I remember the darling from the XFL, PJ Walker, who ended up, I believe, starting a game this past year for Carolina, if memory serves me correct, but he had a heck of a year in the XFL. So uh, that's what the Spring League is trying to serve. Uh, same concept. A lot of FIU guys have been there. Former uh, FIU running back Anthony Jones was there. A couple of the guys, uh, oh man, and now, of course, the names are escaping me who played there. But a lot of CUSA names are actually playing in, in, in the Spring League or have played in the past few years. And that's what this is. So, yeah, I actually had a chance. I bumped into Shane the day after the draft. It was the Sunday, if memory serves me correct, after the draft. Uh, Shane mentioned that he, you know, uh, had some, some interest from Detroit. Also heard that from his agent as well. But just through the way the draft shook out, the draft board shook out, a player who they had a high, rated a little bit higher came down to their board and they ended up going with him. And then there was some interest that I, I, I um, learned from his agency as well as far as the LA Rams. But, you know, those things didn't work out. And now he's with the Spring League. And we'll see. I mean, like I mentioned before when talking about the Spring League, there are players who have made the transition from there and at least got an NFL camp. And especially for a guy like Shane, who apparently was kind of on that fringe of, you know, potentially being a, a UDFA maybe this is a good place for him to kind of get some reps, continue playing football is in shape. You know, you can put on the pads immediately. You're not taking months away from the game and having to wait and then, you know, see what happens in, uh, in the fall. Interesting. Is this the one that plays uh, their games in like West Virginia or am I thinking of something else? I think you're thinking of something else. This one plays in Texas. Memory. Okay. Correct. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on Shane's progress in that spring league. Uh, and like you mentioned, there's not very many other like competitive outlets for spring football so far. So uh, we'll definitely be doing my research to see where I can watch those games. Uh, moving on then, let's talk about uh, Trey Harbison signing with the Cleveland Browns, uh, of course, played for uh, Northern Illinois to start his college career, uh, wrapped up at Charlotte. Um, what do you think he'll kind of uh, bring to Cleveland's team here? Well, this is what's interesting, Joe, is that they have a history, they being the Browns, clearly have a history of trusting Charlotte running backs, right? Do you remember a former Charlotte running back who was a favorite of ours who spent some time in camp there? Yes, that's Benny LeMay, right? So clearly they trust the Charlotte staff as far as with running backs, right? And with Trey Harbison, it's interesting because he's a guy who had back-to-back 1,000-yard season at almost at North Carolina and Northern Illinois transfers back home to Charlotte and due to the COVID circumstances, they don't get an entire season in. I'm not going to lie to you, Joe. I was a little bit surprised that he didn't come back for another year, but also on the flip side of that, just because he didn't get those numbers that he had in Northern Illinois as a running back, maybe you don't want to take another two, 300 yard, two, 300 carries uh, in a season, especially when you've only got so many of those and, you know, kind of your carry meter, so to speak. So I can understand him choosing to pursue his pro career and, and, I think it just makes sense, like I mentioned, the, given the history that Charlotte and, and Cleveland have as far as you know, uh, um, the players. And if they were Benny LeMay, you know, hopefully he'll have a shot to, to make the team there. But, you know, not not too surprised that he ended up in a camp. I guess the only thing that kind of perked Myers up a little bit is that you know, he could have come back for another year. But it also makes sense. As a running back, you only got so many carries. So why not start making some money for him? For sure. And uh, one other UDFA pick for uh, Charlotte. Um over the past couple of weeks and that's safety Ben DeLuca getting a deal with the LA chargers. Uh, you know, I think we, we talked a lot about DeLuca and what he brought to that Charlotte defense, really hard hitting safety um, can really kind of cheat up and, and play that linebacker spot at times as well. Um, I'm excited to see what he can bring to that battle for the AFC West. Emphasis on hard hitting Ben DeLuca is the all time leading tackler in the history of Charlotte football at the FBS level, 313 tackles made a ton of tackles throughout his time uh, at CUSA and at Charlotte. Uh, and it's one thing with, with Luke, I think he's a little bit underrated in coverage, Joe, 
But with that being said, I think there's a spot for him. And, you know, let me know if, you know, your time watching as well, if you see this at six foot one, 215, he's not going to wow you with his athleticism back there at safety. I mean, he's a safety by trade. Don't you kind of see him being a smallish linebacker? You know, in today's football, you know, that, that 6'1", 220-pound linebacker then kind of transition and tackle really well. I can almost see that being a, a role for him in the NFL. What do you think? Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. I've We've obviously seen stranger things as far as safeties that get moved around in the NFL. Um, and, you know, it's a testament to how versatile he is as a player with just the fact that he was a – he played safety and he got the amount of tackles that he did. Ordinarily, that's not great. Uh, for a defense to have your safety be the leading tackler. But I think in this case, it is a testament to just how solid he was as a player and how quickly he can get around the field. No doubt about it. And again, part of the reason, you know, for uh, the broader listeners who may not understand why I make that comparison, not just his size, but overall, again, all-time Charlotte record holder in tackles, forced fumbles with nine. I remember a year that he had something like four or five forced fumbles. Fumbles recovered with six. And also, you know, like I said, he's he's adequate in coverage. I, I believe he's the all-time record holder in pass breakups with 19 or 20. But I just think given his coverage skills, but more importantly, his ability to play in traffic, you know, be around the football, make plays. I just feel like there's a role for him as maybe like a, a smaller linebacker who at least his coverage skills are better as an outside linebacker than maybe they are a safety. So we'll see. Maybe I'm just high on Ben DeLuca because I've been watching CUSA football and he's, you know, from the central Florida area, but I, I just think there could be a niche there for them. And it wouldn't shock me if he sees time at linebacker in, uh, in camp coming up. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about uh, middle Tennessee state offensive lineman, Robert Jones getting signed by the dolphins. Um, so for context, UDFA rookies usually get between mm, 15000 and 40000 in guaranteed money. Mr. Jones um, apparently really impressed some Dolphin scouts and got a UDFA contract that guarantees him $130,000. So significantly more than the average UDFA uh, rookie contract there. Um, Eric, what what do you kind of see from Robert Jones and what he did to earn that kind of cash? Listen, Robert Jones is a very intriguing prospect. He's a guy who, if you'd ask me at the beginning of the year, someone who I thought might have been a sleeper as far as a, you know, day two pick, it would have been him. If you look at last year, excuse me, the season before last year being the 2019 season, he didn't allow an entire sack. And the reason that's notable is when you play behind a quarterback like Asher O'Hara, play in front of a quarterback like Asher O'Hara, I should say, who's scrambling around trying to make plays, those type of guys usually end up being sacked a little bit more than your prototypical dropback passer is going to get the ball out of his hands quickly. So the fact that he didn't allow a, a sack from the tackle spot really piqued up you know, my interest. Also, former basketball player. So you know he's got the athleticism, know he's got good feet. May not have had quite as good of a year this year in 2020. Again, COVID maybe played a factor. You know, they missed some games as well. But the big thing, I heard from some people with his agency that, you know, there really was a bidding war for Robert Jones directly after the draft. I know some of the people here in South Florida, some of the FAU and FIU fans were a little upset that their offensive linemen who graduated this year couldn't get a shot with the local team. And I had to tell them, hey, you know, I cover FIU. I love Shane Magoo and Danny Demery just as much as the next guy, but Robert Jones, all things considered at the next level, is a much better prospect, probably had a better year. And, uh, yeah, I think legit, you know, he has – if he's not a practice squad guy, um, at least, has a very shot, very fair shot of making the team. <laughs> uh, sorry, not to derail, but I'm – for context, for show prep, we put together kind of a list of, of links and screenshots of what we want to talk about. And, uh, Eric, I'm noticing in the list of stuff that you sent me – I'm assuming accidentally you included an article about Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck getting back together. <laughs> Listen, man, I have, I, I'm, I'm a person of multiple interests. Okay. I am not ashamed to admit I love dating shows. When I'm not doing this show, you'll find me watching uh, love is blind on Netflix. And uh, clearly I took an interest in, in uh, JLo and, uh, and Ben Affleck getting back together. Thanks for calling me out, Joe. We could have let that slide, but it's not an issue. It's not an issue. Well, I mean, I, I, how could you think I was going to let that slide? You know I, better than that. I, I'm reading it. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck reportedly have unreal chemistry. It's 2003 all over again. Some of us <laughs> on this side of this was 2003, but that aside. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, if it means marathoning shows of MTV's next, I'm all about it being 2003 again. Room so. Raiders, baby. Come on. Room Raiders <laughs> was the bleep <laughs> was the stuff. Yes. Room Raiders and uh, what's the one that was obviously fake, but I didn't even care. Uh, parental oh, Control. Oh, parental Control. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Uh, so this has been our new podcast about old MTV dating shows. Um, you know, keep it locked for more. Um, but now I guess we have to talk about more football. Um, on the UAB side, we talked about some of those guys that probably maybe should have snuck into the later rounds, but and did end up getting UDFA picks uh, for starters, Austin Watkins. He is going to go to the 49ers and uh, possibly catch passes from Trey Lance at some point, but uh, I do think he's a solid addition for them. And then we also have uh, Spencer Brown signing a UDFA deal with the Carolina Panthers. Um, and on Spencer Brown specifically, I feel like he kind of fits the mold of what we've seen succeed at Carolina granted whole new coaching whole new uh, coaching staff whole new system but in terms of you know these um running backs that you know have a knack for getting yards after contact uh, that we've seen at North Carolina like Mike Davis comes to mind um you know I think he'll you know find a way to contribute there I'll start with Austin Watkins. He's a guy who you know can stretch the field, as most UAB receivers can. Very much a boom or bust offense when it comes to their passing game. You know, Austin Watkins averaged just a shade under 20 yards per catch as a sophomore. Uh, numbers came down a little bit. Again, I'm just going to blame it on COVID. You know, a lot of things <laughs> changed as far as football seasons last year because of COVID. So his numbers were quite worth they, what they were in 2019. But still someone who I think has a good shot to at least land on a practice squad. Couldn't agree more with everything you said with Spencer Brown. I think this, you know, Joe, Spencer Brown's numbers in 2019 tailed off a little bit, right? And we all were curious as to why that was. And one of the things that came out in talking with Evan Dudley, of course, of AL.com, who joins us from time to time, is that he kind of bulked up thinking he needed, you know, that extra mass to take on the punishment, right? And then when that child realized, hey, you know, he he dropped some of the weight and got back to the the, the quick, shifty, but also powerful runner that Spencer Brown naturally is, but got a little bit back of his speed, a lot of his speed back, excuse me, he turns into the same 1,000-yard rusher that we know and love, right? I think Spencer Brown is a really good shot, especially as a running back coming into the league with his natural running skills. I mean, Joe, since we've been doing this podcast, you know, maybe not the Devin Singletary. I mean, then that's, you know, the high echelon of CUSA but just a really natural running back. And, and you got to think he's got a good shot of, of, you know, sticking somewhere. I think obviously special teams will be the thing if he can contribute there, but just as a runner, uh, I, I think he can stick. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think he does show he in college, at least he definitely showed shades of Devin Singletary, at least, you know, at times, uh, I think, this past season, he, he kind of took on a little bit more limited role and you can blame that on COVID whatever, but yeah, I think he definitely has a solid shot to at least find a consistent home in the NFL based on what we've seen out of his body of work from the last few years. Um, Austin Trammell going to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, when you talk about Rice's offense, I definitely think he was one of, if not the most important part of those teams of the last few years. Uh, Atlanta, obviously a pretty uh, – kind of a crowded receiver room, I guess, as they kind of figure out what they're doing uh, post Matt Ryan. Of course, he hasn't left yet, but it seems like they're kind of planning for when he does inevitably leave. What, what do you think of Austin Trammell at Atlanta here? Listen, I think if, when you look at his career, Joe, and we talked about Rice and their death issues uh, a little earlier in the podcast about Blaze Aldridge, he's another guy who I kind of wish would just come back. And it's not that he didn't have good production at Rice, because he certainly did. He was a very much a downfield threat, 5'10", a buck 90, always made plays. But Joe, what have we talked about over the past three years since Mike Bloomgren has took over the rice job quarterback play, right? If they just had a steady quarterback, if those receivers would probably put up a thousand yards, Brad Rosner comes back next year with Austin Trammell and Jordan Myers. And if they just get that quarterback while Mike Collins, the last year's quarterback, 10 touchdowns, one interception, believe a shade over 800 yards passing, he's moved on. If they're able to just get that situation right, you feel like the, it would have boosted really not only um, Trammell's potential you know, future, but Rosner's as well. Rosner chose to opt out, and he'll be back next year. But I just felt like I would have wished that Austin Trammell would have come back. But that, is, that aside, um, 
I think him also contributing in the return game as well will help. He returned some punts and kicks at Rice. And something that you mentioned again, small, shifty receiver. There definitely is room for that type of player in the NFL now, as opposed to, you know, maybe 10 years ago, if you weren't at least 6'3", you're probably not getting that look. So we'll see what happens. But and I'm and I'm not, you know, trying to down Austin Trammell as far as his decision to leave. You know, uh, something, Joe, really quick, I, I want to make sure we sneak this in so you have a chance to get your thoughts on it as well. I keep getting a lot of questions as, as far as some guys about, oh, man, why didn't they come back? They didn't get drafted or such and such. Well, with the rule uh, that players are allowed to come back, uh, guess what? You still got to account for scholarships for your incoming freshmen, right? And when you have guys who have graduated college, <laughs> they're not going to class. They're just playing football. And, and you don't know what the scholarship situation is, what the financial situation is. So that might be the reason why some of these guys take their pro futures elsewhere. I'm not saying it's the case with Austin Trammell. Just wanted to mention that so I gave you a chance to opine. But all in all, I, I think Austin has a chance to stick, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it just in general – with that whole situation i think it's interesting that we'll definitely have some of these guys who kind of overestimate their own desirability when it comes to their pro career um but you know i do think it kind of opens the door for you know some of these guys like i think you'll inevitably get a few of these guys who if they're going to come from any USA school it's going to be rice where you know from the academic rigor that they go through it's going to prepare them for the professional world and if they foresee you know the next season kind of bringing a scenario where they're going to have to you know they might not get the playing time or the film that they need anyway then you know why not go pro and uh, or why not you know leave and test the waters and see if there's somewhere for you to go and if not you still have a degree from you know a school like rice that has an you know extremely reputable academic um reputation behind it so um i guess that's kind of my two cents on that no couldn't agree with you more there in that case with rice i mean i i know you know if i certainly had a rice degree i probably would be eager to put it to use pretty quickly <laughs> yeah um for sure. And then we have uh, some WKU guys who got picked up. Uh, we have Devon Key getting signed by the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and then we also have uh, former Western offensive lineman Jordan Meredith going to the L.A. Rams. And then uh, another defensive back in Deontay Ruffin going to the Chicago Bears. Um, so I'll kind of start this one off with uh, Devin Key. I, you know, I can't really think of too many other Western players who I've been more, you know, impressed by just in terms of how much fun they were clearly having playing football. And I don't know, there's just something of, about these guys who play that safety linebacker hybrid position like we we talked about earlier in the show. Devin played it so well in those systems that he was a part of in the Mike Sanford and Tyson Helton eras. And I think that's going to serve him well in the NFL. And if nothing else, it's going to get him a spot on a special team squad for a couple of years. Um, with, uh, with Deontay Ruffin, uh, you know, it, Chicago is one of those teams that I'm not super familiar with, especially in terms of their uh, defensive back depth, but uh, I'll be interested to see if he can make an immediate impact. And, uh, with with Jordan going to the Rams, uh, you know, the Rams are one of these teams that already have uh, some solid depth on the offensive line. So I don't know if that's the best spot for him to go. But, um, you know, Meredith, I think, was one of those guys who was definitely one of the more consistent performers when he was healthy at Western Kentucky. So I think he'll be, you know, he'll be a solid depth addition for the Rams as they try to, you know, uh, make more of an impact in the NFC West moving forward here. Yeah, you touched on all of those guys really well. So I'm just going to quickly touch on the guy who kind of gives me, you know, kind of piques my interest the most is Devin Key. I definitely think from him being able to be a, and, and he as well might be a guy who is pretty high up there as far as the all-time ranks of Western Kentucky and tackles. I, I, I want to say when I covered the FIU Western game that there was a note in the press box about him being second or third or something like that. So um, certainly has the ability to play, you know, in the box as far as um, being a tackler and really athletic, you know, so uh, Devin key is a guy who, uh, again, I feel like this might be a common refrain, but if he had chosen to take advantage of the additional year, 
I feel like he's a guy who definitely might have been a late round pick, but uh, out, out of that group, I, this guy, I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of those guys really well. Just Devin Key is the one who stands out the most to me. Uh, and then on the other side of the uh, Moonshine Throwdown rivalry, let's talk about some Marshall guys that uh, picked up UDFA deals. Brendan Knox going to the Cowboys, joining Josh Ball there. And then we have uh, former Marshall defensive back Jalen McLean Sapp signing with the uh, KC Chiefs. So he's also going to. Uh, join Devin key there in uh, the land of delicious barbecue. I'm going to surprise you here, Joe. I know Brendan Knox is the guy who gets, you know, the majority of the pub from Marshall and rightfully so he's one of the best backs in CUSA over his time. Jalen McLean sap. Uh, this is probably the first time we're saying this name on this podcast. So that's why I'll, I'll take my 20 seconds to talk about him. Was an excellent nickel back for Marshall. And I think if he can carve out a role as a guy who can play that role well, because, you know, nowadays it's easier. I'm, I put easier in quotations. Not like I'm about to go on there and do it, but it's, it's easier to be the cornerback on the outside, right? As opposed to being the guy who has to play that person who has so many different routes as that slot receiver. And if he can transition and already have those talents from college and maybe, you know, kind of show those skills in, in, in the NFL with Kansas City, I think he has a pretty good shot of sticking and making the team. Yeah, um, I want to mention these two guys because I realized I didn't uh, mention them. Um, and the Moonshine Throwdown guys will get mad at us if we don't. Uh, Tavante Beckett, linebacker for Marshall, getting signed by Detroit. And then defensive end Darius Hodge going to the Bengals as well. Darius Hodge is a guy who I thought, you know, again, coming into this year, pretty good chance of, of being a, a late round pick just because of his size you know, and, and athleticism on the defensive end. But Tavante Beckett, We've probably made mention this for two or three guys, so why not with him as well? Smaller DB, smaller linebacker, right? Kind of that hybrid. Um, I don't know where he sticks, right? Because not even, I mean, Ben DeLuca, 6'1", 215, he's bigger than Devontae Beckett. Devontae Beckett is 5'10", in cleats, about 210, right? You know, for point of reference, like I'm 5'9", 225, so, uh, and, and I'm have no desire to go out there and, 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 you know, play, uh, in space at linebacker or safety. Uh, I, I gave that up once I realized I was lacking talent as an NAIA college football player. So here's the deal. I, uh, Tavante Beckett, you know, we all know pound for pound, one of the top players in CUSA. I just am a little skittish on what he's going to be able to do because is he going to be a nickel guy? Is he going to be a, a safety? Is he going to be, he can't play Mike. You know, at that, sorry, Tom Brady's playing football till he's 50. So maybe Devontae Beckett could be the first, but I, I don't know. I'm a little skittish on that one, but we'll see. <laughs> if we get to a point where they have like Marvel Cinematic Universe type, like super soldier serum, uh, Tom Brady's going to come out of that like cryogenic chamber, like uh, Chris Evans in that movie, like just like bigger, stronger, never going to die. Like, that's that's inevitably what I end up seeing with him. Um, any other um, UDFAs from CUSA that you want to make sure we get to, Eric? I know we have some guys who um, were CUSA players who then transferred to P5 programs that, uh, you know, we, we want to talk about a little bit. But any of the guys who went uh, CUSA all four years or, or whatever that uh, signed UDFA deals, you want to make sure we get to? Last guy from my end, Tim Jones, receiver, Jacksonville, former receiver, Southern Miss. Has the speed, has the size. Definitely, that was a team that was affected by COVID in terms of just, you know, the makeup with the quarterback situation. Jack Abraham gone, then it was Trey Lowe. I think he would have had a better year statistically had Jack Abraham been there the entire year. Definitely think he has a shot to stick in Jacksonville. With that, let's talk about some of the guys who uh, were formerly CUSA players and then played their last uh, years of eligibility at uh, some P5 programs, starting with tight end John Rain, former FAU guy, wrapped his career up at Northwestern. But uh, he went ahead and signed a UDFA deal with the Atlanta Falcons uh, over the past couple of weeks here. Um, from what we saw of him at FAU, you know, I, I think it only made sense for him that he made the jump to P5. Big, big, strong guy. I think he fits the NFL well. Um, with Atlanta, it's one of those teams I am not – extremely knowledgeable on their tight end depth right now. But from what I saw of him at both teams, he was on this college career. I think he fits that archetype of what you want in an NFL tight end. 
Well, here's the thing that I'll just say is he reminds me of Jordan Myers. I know I'm comparing him to a current CUSA tight end, but a guy who Jordan Myers might play a little bit of running back, might play a little bit of tight end. You know, John Rain has that versatility. Might not be as quite athletic or fast as Jordan Myers is. Jordan Myers is probably a, a four, 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 five guy. John Rain probably in the four or sixes range. But as far as size goes, he has that size to be a prototypical NFL tight end. And I definitely think he will stick somehow, even as a contributor on special teams. I think he'll he'll find a way to stick. And certainly was an excellent CUSA player at his time at FAU. That he was. Um, and then let's let's talk about this guy that you saw a lot of covering FIU, Eric. That's uh, Jose Borregales, uh kicker for the Panthers for a while and then played his last year of eligibility uh, with the Hurricanes. Um, you know, you you said it yourself. You saw every kick of his FIU career. Um, he he went ahead and signed uh, a UDFA deal with um, shoot. I'm blanking now, Eric. Who who is he uh, going to call home? He is about 30 minutes from me. He's over in Tampa. Nice. Um, so what do you see uh, from him in terms of, you know, being able to crack that opening day roster here? The Bucks have had a long struggle with kickers going back to, you know, the last time they had a, a quote unquote reliable kicker. You could say Matt Bryant for a handful of years and the Martin Gramatica days as, as me as, as a young child watching the Argentinian superstar kick and, and have ridiculous celebrations over a 22 yard made field goal. But that aside, uh, I think Jose has a really strong shot here. You know, a his leg. That was the thing that was always apparent. Joe, I remember vividly 2018 at Charlotte. Uh, I'd always get to the stadium a little bit early, just, you know, get out my, feel out my surroundings and whatnot. And Borregales is out there from the 40, 40 yard line, 45 ish yard line. And I'm like, is he, He's not going to kick from there. He's just screwing around. And sure enough, for about easy, 60 yards, like nothing. He has an NFL leg. The issue at FIU was consistency. It was putting it through the uprights consistently. <laughs> it was, certainly wasn't the distance. And he put it all together at UM and was the All-American. You know, first team All-American this year as a kicker. I remember, you know, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, they had the back and forth over, you know, who they thought was the best kicker. Was it the kid McPherson was drafted from Florida or Borregales? Borregales ends up not being not being drafted. Maybe a little bit has, has to do with his inconsistency, inconsistency at FIU, but I think he has a really strong chance of sticking at in Tampa, I should say. And I know the FIU faithful, the ones who have forgiven him for going to Miami, uh, will be proud of him in Tampa. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does in his pro career. And Martin Gramatica, man, was he one of the guys who played with like the single bar face mask? You nail it, Martin. From the kicking Gramaticas, there was three. There was Bill who played for USF down the road. Although no, we don't care about USF on this podcast. At least I don't, being a UCF knight. Um, Bill, Santiago, and Martin. But yeah, they all played with the little skinny uh, face mask and, and were former soccer players. Oh man, I, I know they're not safe, but I just want to see, I just want to see him come back for a little bit, you know, just, just for kickers. I don't know why those are so like aesthetically appealing to me. This is going to be so random, Joe. I remember again, born and raised Tampa native here. Trent Dilfer wanted to play, pay homage to Joe Theismann who wore the one bar face mask. I remember they made a big deal about this game. I want to say it was like 99. So we're not talking the 60s. Trent Dilfer played with a one-bar face mask for a game. And I think he very quickly learned why the, 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 the paying of homage could have been done in, in different ways. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it wasn't – it was maybe 15 years ago that they were like, what are we doing? We got to get rid of this. But, yeah, for, for a while they were just kind of that, that last remaining relic of kind of that old guard of the NFL of like the – you know, that, that kind of you thought died out in like the early 80s. But, you know. <laughs> No doubt about it's just, that. It's fun to yeah, it's it's fun to see him every once in a while. Um, just in old, you know, highlights and that sort of thing. Um, but before we start uh wrapping up this episode, want to talk about some transfers within CUSA that uh, have been in the news recently. Uh starting with uh North Texas picking up a commitment from Arkansas transfer defensive tackle Enoch Jackson Jr. Um, big guy. Um made a made a you know didn't really get his chance to shine at arkansas hence the transfer to north texas but uh just kind of based on you know the film that he does have and just his size i think he's uh could be an interesting piece uh to the mean greens defense in 2021 here 
Yeah, he's a guy who, you know, saw a little bit of playing time in 2019 as a redshirt freshman. Uh, obviously, you know, 2020, we know COVID again could say that a million times. But I just think it's interesting to see some of those Power 5 guys drop down, quote-unquote, drop down and play in CUSA. A couple of the transfers that we'll talk about on a future podcast uh, who, you know, throughout – uh, this offseason have made their way there. And, and it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, UTSA just picked up a, a recent um, receiver, Trevon Bradley, I believe, from Houston. A couple of the guys, like I said, we'll talk about more in depth as we go throughout the offseason. But it should be interesting, especially for North Texas. And we all know the struggles that they've had. Uh, they haven't had issues putting points on the scoreboard. It's keeping them off. That's why they're on their fourth defensive coordinator in as many years. No, for sure. I think uh, if North Texas is going to solidify that defense a little bit, you know, getting some contributions from him uh, could be, you know, pretty vital. Um, let's talk about a guy that uh, you're going to get to see, Eric, an Indiana defensive lineman, Jeremy Passmore, transferring home to FIU, played his high school ball at uh, Christopher Columbus High School in Miami, was a former three-star recruit. Uh, what do you think of this move for him and what he'll bring to the FIU Panthers? This is a hugely needed move for FIU. You know, you'll get a chance to hear uh, on an upcoming podcast. We talked with FIU play-by-play guy, AJ Ricketts. And one of the things he talked about was the run defense struggles. And you probably heard me talk about it a million times. Uh, good to hear from another voice, right? Listen, Joe, there's one thing about this defensive line. It's interior. Uh, you know, they have really talented guys at the defensive ends, but the interior has needed to step up. Tier Tart was in the NFL now with Tennessee. He showed flashes at FIU, but then turned into an entirely different man with the Titans, right? You know, maybe once you start getting paid, <laughs> things will change a little bit. But um, Jason Mercier, former force, or I shouldn't say former, um, incoming four-star recruit, Savion Collins, who was signed with Florida at defensive tackle. Uh, I, I mentioned Jason Mercier. Rashad Colson is going to be a guy where they're going to depend on. But they really need stout guys. So if they can get as much talent at that defensive tackle spot as possible, um, Davon Strickland, also another guy who had a solid year last year, but still only in a handful of games. So in that interior defensive line, if FIU is going to have any chance of rebounding and making it back to a bowl game, it's going to be the interior offensive line, interior defensive line, and talented pickup for FIU. So sorely needed. For sure. And uh, before we get to, you know, the big one that I think we've we've been anticipating talking about for a couple of weeks, uh, Blaze Aldridge, of course, went to Missouri, uh, Big 12 giant Missouri Tigers. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what he'll do there. Uh, and in addition to looking fantastic in his new headshot, use that head and shoulders conditioner, clearly, um, with his gorgeous flowing locks. Uh, Nikosi Perry, former University of Miami quarterback, uh, going to play his final year of eligibility for Willie Taggart at FAU. Uh, so FAU's quarterback situation over the last few years has been entertaining to say the least. Um, you know, he'll most likely win that job. I would think just kind of knowing who else is on that uh, quarterback roster at this point. But, you know, I did not see this coming. And especially when you consider like Perry, correct me if I'm wrong. He was a captain of U of M at, at one point. Yeah, first of all, I want to say that was an excellent knuckle crack there by Joe. I'm sure you will hear that in the podcast <laughs> as I heard it through my mic. As far as Nikosi Perry goes, yes, was very well respected in the UM locker room. I, I think that's a situation with Derek King, you know, and, and him being there at UM and choosing to lead that program. And Nikosi Perry, again, so well liked and so well respected. He actually chose to take his name out of the portal to finish up his degree at UM. Uh, UM, for those of you who may not know, uh, is a private school. So it's kind of, you know, uh, not kind of, it is a uh, highly regarded university here in these parts. But as far as the move to FAU goes, I think it's just a great move for both sides. A, Michael Johnson Jr., you know, we had Kevin Felder on the podcast who talked about the quarterback situation there at FAU. Johnson Jr., a former four-star recruit, his dad is the current offensive coordinator at FAU. But we don't think he's ready just yet. And when I say we, I mean those of us in CUSA circles, right? For the talent that FAU has on this team right now, to put it in the hands of a redshirt freshman just feels like a little bit iffy, right? We saw Javion Posey. He was the MVP of the Shula Bowl, you know, dynamic dual threat. But right now, he's only proven one of those dual threat options, and that's his legs. Still needs to progress as a passer. Nick Tronti was last year's primary starter, and we saw that he's adequate you know, adequate, but not, uh, I almost <laughs> blended adequate and sufficient there, but he, he's not going to, you know, win you any games as a passer, right? Unless he, he develops as a passer. Nikosi Perry, when you look at his numbers, Joe, 
I mean, I don't have them off the top of my head here. I, I wrote them in in, in the, the article I did there for UDT, but something like 2,487, 2,484 passing yards, 20-something touchdowns, 10 picks. His issue was not the passing yards and the TDs picks. It was a completion percentage, just a shade over 52 or 53% completion percentage, if memory serves me correct. So if Willie Taggart can get that, Willie Taggart, Michael Johnson Jr., or Michael Johnson, excuse me, Michael Johnson Sr., offensive coordinator at FAU, if they can get that to like 60, 61, 62% completion with two seasons at FAU, I think Nikosi Perry still has a great chance to make the most out of his four-star uh, status that he had coming out of Ocala Vanguard and maybe see time at the next level in the NFL because size-wise he has it. He has the arm. It's played well against CUSA competition, so I just think it's a great move for both sides. Yeah, I mean, you were right on the money with his completion percentage, 52.4. Um, and, like, you go back to his, like, his 2018 freshman season where he played 11 games, uh, completed 97 of 191 passes, uh, 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Um, you know, at the playing against the level of competition that he's going to face in CUSA, uh, he clearly showed that he has what it takes to do the job, as you said, um, you know, kind of declined a little bit uh, in his sophomore and junior season. But again, you can kind of contribute that to um, a injury and B just, uh, you know, the, the quarterback room at Miami getting a little crowded. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, like you said, this move for him is going to be extremely beneficial. And uh, again, like you said, it's going to give Willie Taggart time to kind of figure out what he you know, can realistically do with the quarterback spot in 2022. No doubt about that. And again, you know, just kind of put a cap on it. That's a team that's very much in win now mode. That's not like, Hey, we need a quarterback to come save us. Right. That's like, we've got all the pieces in place. Kosi Perry, you know, make the trip an hour up from Miami to Boca and then let's get going. That kind of seems to be the norm for FAU the last couple of years in terms of being in win now mode, right? Like, uh, you know, for whatever reason, the second that Lane Kiffin entered that program, it was we should be contending for the CUSA title every year. And I don't know if that's just like a, a change in the athletic department or or what, but there are definitely coaches that play the long game, and there are, are programs that are consistently looking for you know, okay, what are the best moves we can make to win now? And it seems like over the last five-ish years FAU's been in win-now mode. Hasn't always worked out, but that's clearly been at the forefront of their thinking. Joe, it's interesting, right? Because covering FIU, you saw the success that they had 2017, 8, and 5, uh, 2017, 9, and 4, 20, let's try this again, 2017, 8, and 5, 2018, 9, and 4. And <laughs> part of this is revisionist history, and I'm sure if, if, if this makes its way back to Butch Davis, he'll, he'll want to Asked me about this comment, but there was something about FAU that maybe it was because they had the success of winning the league prior to where it always felt like FIU was trying to prove something as opposed to where FAU kind of piggyback on what you're saying the past few years. It's like the expectation is there that they're going to win as opposed to needing to prove it, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think that's a thing with, you can say with a, a various amount of CUSA teams, like it feels like Marshall, FAU, UAB, those schools have been very much in, we are expecting to win. Whereas I'll even give you a 2021 example. So hopefully, you know, the FIU fans don't get on me too much. UTSA, they have all the pieces. I'm projecting them to win the league, but they've got to go prove it as opposed to if UAB goes and wins the league again next year, it's like, oh, well, we expected that, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I think that's a great point you make there. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but the the dichotomy of South Florida football is is fascinating. On the one hand, you have the, you know, kind of the, the glamour and the whole, you know, party on the speedboat, all that kind of stuff, you know, the old school you and then you have kind of the the guys that it, it seems more like fiu tries to uh attract with kind of the the kids that that come up in kind of the the rougher neighborhoods of miami um and, and that sort of thing so and like the the miami northwestern kind of kids those you know no, no um, about that. but uh yeah it, that that dichotomy is always fascinating to me and uh it seems like it's going to you know continue to be prevalent in college football for years to come um, but with that, I, I think we can go ahead and start wrapping this episode up. Um, 
you know, thank you again to everyone who listens. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Uh, we'll have AJ Ricketts on to talk some more FIU, uh, expand on what we were just talking about, and uh, you know, some more uh, guests lined up throughout the course of the off season. So keep coming back for that. Uh, check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search Underdog Dynasty. Should pop right up. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. And then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty. Uh, we are getting more Sunbelt content. It's coming if you're listening for that. Um, <laughs> happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.